Welcome. On Behind the API, we talk to people who work to build awesome products involving APIs, and we learn about their journey, learnings, and overall approach. On today's session of Behind the API, we're joined by Andre, currently founder at Fogbender, formerly of Same Room IO and 8x8. 8x8? Is it 8x8? 8x8. 8x8. Yeah. So we'll jump off today. So to start us off, Andre, what is going on at Fogbender and why does it have you excited? First of all, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Fogbender is a customer support solution for API first companies. And that's how that that that's how API saying here. Um it's exciting because I I really believe the that team messaging and and especially team to team messaging is the best way of supporting supporting teams and every single API first company is selling a fairly complex product to a team. And so we're trying to find a way, the best way possible for these two entities to um, coexist over uh, many years, right? So a, a, a commercial deal might last for 10 years, who knows, forever. Um, and so how do we structure customer support between these two teams whose composition is guaranteed to change and start changing almost right away, right? <laughs> people leave, people come. In a way, you know, in a way that sort of facilitates the best possible relationship and sort of, uh, you know, uh, improves things over time, uh, makes it easier <laughs> to run renewals, uh, makes it uh, ensures some some form of continuity succession. Um, that's that's kind of what we're working on. You know, um, some stuff that I love about Fogbender. First of all, great name, beautiful website, and it really speaks to my my depth in B2B on how complex communication structures can be. And the fact that Fogbinder can connect so many disparate systems over so many parties, you know, a B2B relationship can have a lot of constituents on one side and be supported with a lot of internal stakeholders. And so the fact that you guys are attacking that kind of unsexy problem, but still important problem is really cool. So, um, and I'm pumped to hear a little bit about your story today. So, in jumping off just on Fogbender, before we go into your backstory, uh, you guys just graduated from Y Combinator. So how did yeah. Fogbender come to be in founding? And then what did you learn from Y Combinator and what's going on now? Um, so, yeah, we actually gra we're the we're no longer the last batch because there is now there's now vintage. The, you're a vintage batch. Summer 22. We are vintage. We're winter 22. And now there's summer 22. They just uh, they just had their demo day. In fact, there's some kind of a big after batch party that I'm going to be starting. Uh, so yeah, you know, path to YC was totally um, not straightforward. In fact, you know, I try to get into YC for like 15 years, probably from you know many many different ideas and companies. Um, so it's always been kind of this unattainable dream for me. Um, I still can't believe actually that we we got in and got went through it. Uh totally deserve it, but but it's still kind of a you know, it's it's really it's it is quite an exclusive club. Um so but path to fogbender. So you know, I started about 10 years ago thinking about team messaging as a as something that should exist, but really doesn't. Like what what most people don't realize is that before Slack, before Slack showed up. 
the most any company has ever raised for for like a, a business team messaging product was two hundred thousand dollars by HipChat, and then they got acquired by Atlassian, who proceeded to do nothing with it. There was it was this gigantic void. And I was, uh, I just happened to kind of work at a remote, very small remote startup, fully remote startup back in like 2011, I think, you know, and the the number one problem that was staring me in the face was like, there's really, you can't, even if you wanted to buy a product that actually makes this work, you couldn't do it. We, we did buy HipChat, but it, it didn't, it didn't work from St. Petersburg, Russia for no good reason. It's not like it was back then they weren't really blocking anything. It just didn't work. It just didn't connect most of the time. So yeah, that's how I got. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna work in team messaging now. So that really how I started on that road. And um, I, we can maybe talk about this later. But essentially, started a company that I that I ran or co-ran my co-founder for four years. Then we sold it to Eight by Eight. And then at Eight by Eight, I I kind of. That's when that's where really Fogbender materialized in my in my mind as a product that probably needs to exist. Um, so I sort of ended up at a large company, um, trying to connect the dots between many, many different stakeholders. Um, and I, uh, yeah, and I'm not going into a lot of detail, but really that's where it, it was it, it was born. I started interviewing potential customers in 2019 so i was like st still still employed <laughs> but i was just talking to people just to see if that's a, if it's, a it's a thing um and it took forever to kind of like get everything off the ground we uh ran straight into COVID with our um fundraising initial fundraising so we spent almost two years consulting like just just to fund just to fund development um uh, it was a pretty small like four-person team but it worked. I mean, it was really difficult, uh, but it worked. And then, and then, um, in in the fall of 2021, two things happened. I raised a pre. I finally was able. We we got enough of a product together, so I showed it to a bunch of angel investors. I raised um, a small round of funding, and then immediately got into IC. So, and uh, I don't know. That's that's kind of the road. <laughs> that's kind of the journey. Yeah, that's a really cool journey. And I mean, this is your second endeavor. You know, that's yours. Yeah. I'm sure you're taking a few different approaches. And I think it's really cool that you guys were kind of keeping the lights on with consulting and also giving some more time for customer discovery. Um, you know, in, in your product, and we had another YC, I think actually in the current batch, a company called Flycode on the podcast for this season. And uh, they're also another connector company. And so yep. as they're looking to solve problems, they're looking to solve problems with an ecosystem lens. And it's like, what are all the tools that my customers currently have and how do I make an elevated customer experience? And so as you look at the industry and you look at the, the different platforms that are in your space, especially in B2B, you know, there's some cool ones like Intercom, yep. there's some not so cool ones like Salesforce. Um, yeah. Well, when you look, when your team looks at an API and you're like, should we connect this to Fogbin or should we try to mess with this platform and try to unlock value? When you look at that, what red flags do you see for your team uh, where you might say, we want to avoid this? And what are some green lights that you see where you're like, we should run at this POC, like we should hit this? Well, you know, I mean, the right answer is like, you really don't have a choice. And someone comes along and says, we use Jira, 
and we need we need Fogbender to work with Jira. However great or not great Jira is, you know, we got to do it. Um, but but we'd have looked at a lot of these different uh saying, you know, Fogbender basically integrates at this point with a bunch of different things, um, but certainly with ticketing, ticketing systems, developer facing ticketing systems, right? Um, and we we have a uh, maybe like eight of them or something that we've we've built integrations with. You know, and and one of the things that comes to mind, uh, and certainly a, a large company like Asana or or Atlassian, right, or Jira. They're not, you You just do whatever, you just try to make, figure it out, right? There's really, um, there's enough documentation usually, there's enough knowledge online. But you look at some, some smaller companies and uh, you may end up joining their developer uh, Discord or Slack. Those those tend to be, they used to be Freenode um, IRC. I don't think anyone's really using it anymore for those purposes. Um, but I think they were healthier. Those communities were healthier in many ways. So what I've noticed is some of them, some of these companies, um, they they they're like, oh well, we got to have a community Slack. So they start it, and then and then it it ends up being poorly run. That happens all the time, where you know they're inviting you in, you're in there, and it's just like a bunch of people who don't know what to do, and and there's just you know it's it's actually a lot of responsibility, and it takes um, incredibly knowledgeable people to field those questions from folks who are probably not paying you like you have no idea who they are that's one of the issues with using like a a, an anonymous essentially system where you you really can't tie that particular um individual to any account like you don't know if it's a public company that's about to pay you a million dollars and like you know recurring contract or is just some you know high school student messing around you can't tell um but anyway i've certainly seen some poorly run communities and that's um something that comes to mind for sure um another um you know another thing that comes to mind for example and this is this is sort of as you start working with an api it's it's almost you know the whole thing becomes exposed right like everything about that, that product becomes exposed so one thing that's really interesting is um let's say there's some interface right like let's say there's some ticketing system interface and then there's they've got an api and you're adding a comment over an api and you're looking at the interface and you're like i just added a comment where's the comment i just added it over api where's my comment and the answer is f5 right you refresh the page because it's 2022 and we maybe don't really know how you know what i mean like like that's certainly a sign of a company that didn't put too much thought into this like for example it's sort of it's understandable with like jira of course in jira it's not gonna like or or sometimes something do appear in jira on their own like right if you, if you trigger an api you can, but but some don't like you know there's different departments working on different but like some of these newer companies that are only a few years old i'm not going to name any names but like yeah yeah you got to hit f5 for that event to show up to me that's that's certainly a you know a red flag by the right. way one one huge like the best system i've used and we built integrations with Linear, uh, GitLab, GitHub, um, Height, Asana, Jira. Oh, a couple others, and Trello. And the best one is Trello. And that was that was a huge surprise to me because it, it's it's an Atlassian product, and they ma they managed to, I don't know, keep it. <laughs> 
not mess it up somehow, but it's, it's like everything happens in real time. Um, I've never seen a timeout. Um, it's, it's well-documented. It's a little weird because it's kind of old, but it's actually, I, I was really surprised, but it's the best. Um, that's like the best product we've, we've worked with. That was a surprise to me. Um, I, yeah, I some, some other like red flags, for example, you have to use two APIs because uh, they, they started with an old API that wasn't versioned, by the way, not versioning an API. It's like, you should definitely version your APIs, but you know, they'll start with a non-versioned API. Then they go into like, build version one or version two or maybe they'll build a graphql version of it but they don't fully uh you know there's no like supersession 100 supersessions it doesn't fully supersede the old api so you have to use two apis sometimes three apis that's definitely a red flag um and and it's weird seeing that come from you know like non-microsoft with microsoft it's sort of it's, it's expected, right? Like, of course, you're going to be using two APIs. But, you know, for some of these younger companies, like I don't, I didn't expect it from GitLab, but you have to do it. Or GitHub, you have to do it. You're going to be using two different versions of their API to be achieving some fairly simple goals. That's, I think that's a red flag. Um, you know, I love, I love some of those takeaways. Um, you know, if you're to show up and, and say you're an API first company, but then you're not architecting even your interfaces to be responding like in a way where like web sockets would be present or you're just bringing in, you know, that information continuously from the API. That is, uh, yeah, that's like a, it's like a deep cut. Like I see you and you're not API first. You just made an API exposed and your multi-step piece is uh, a really good note as well. Um, if you were going to give some like wave your magic wand and the next system, uh, that one of your customers brings you to integrate with, you know, had like three elements where you're like, oh, thank God that they're doing this. Like, what do you think are like your three delighters in walking up to somebody's developer experience? That's, yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing that's surprisingly difficult sometimes is uh, to, to uh, use an API product uh, from top, right? Like from a local host environment. And some companies pay a lot of attention to that experience and others like pretend that experience doesn't exist as if you're already using it in production um, just from, from the get-go. So I think thinking about what, um, like how can you help the developer to just get going locally, you know, on the laptop uh, to start using the API. This includes like, you know, auth urls like you know yeah sometimes it's going to point to local host um you know develop keys all kind of stuff so just thinking about that that there's a huge difference between companies the way they 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 sort of approach this um the subject i mean i swear there are startups that are like making that easier now because <laughs> it is kind of a sometimes an afterthought um you know again like versioning like a versioned api or an api that's that is that doesn't consist of two or three APIs is always a delight, you know, and sometimes that's the case. Like with Trello, I mean, I don't know what their history is, but like I never run into any, ran into any issues um, with uh, like, you know, with, with any kind of like mismatching stuff. Um, so, I mean, this is, it's, it's, well, I've certainly worked on APIs uh, of companies that don't use the API themselves. Like that's, probably less common now but like you know i'll i'll just like for example intercom we built an, an integration with intercom this was like 2015 i think and uh it was a cool integration this is like 
a pivot from my initial, uh, this was same room actually. So same room had an integration with intercom where the way you could use it is we essentially connected Slack to intercom. So if you were the, uh, the agent team, you know, and then your, your users were using like the intercom widget, you could respond from Slack by using our integration. And that was really hard because we realized they didn't use their own API. So the API itself was kind of a product. And so the API would go down every day. Intercom wouldn't go down, but their API would go down. And they, and I think they had very few, few integrations at the time. So it looked like it was our fault. <laughs> you know, we were sort of tier one support for Intercom's um, API product. You know, like use your API, basically. That, that's a delight, obviously, when you can tell them, hey, you know what, this company's definitely, their product is built on top of the same API I'm using here. You can usually tell. It's a delight. Um, you, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no uh, let's see, I've got some notes here. But, you know, and the other thing is just, just to mention, like, there are APIs where timeouts are like, it, like I mean, I just built an integration with Microsoft Teams, and they have a really complex, limited way of uh, setting up webhooks like basically they're called subscriptions but essentially you, you you can you can create a subscription for resource and unless you renew that subscription within a certain period of time which can be like two years right it has to be at most like it's at most an hour the, the subscription goes away so you so you need a fairly complex logic to like make sure you don't lose that subscription subscription they literally have like there's a workflow in there where timeout means success like if it times out, it means it worked. And and that's, well, I, I think you just need a little bit more funding like to fix that kind of thing. But um, in general, like a lot of these API companies have really poor, or just APIs, right? They have like really poor res response performance. Like sometimes you, you get huge variability in response times. Um, sometimes you really got to bake like expectation of multiple timeouts into into your um you know your client kind of thing whatever is triggering the api and it's always a delight when you don't have to do that <laughs> you know? and you you have to bear the brunt of some of the best api decisions and some of the worst api decisions across your stack you know because you're really helping yeah. to connect all your customers systems how do you internally manage uh that inconsistency between like taking in other people's APIs, you know, I'm sure you have a pretty sophisticated yeah. alerting system. And um, I feel like you come by it honestly, speaking about that 2015 example, where you're like, it made our product look bad that their API was bad that I connected to. And so like, you've probably learned over the years how to mitigate some of these things as much as you can. You know, there's some things that are out of your control. Right. So one of the things I learned from our same room experience, so same room was a pure interoperability product. So in other words, we didn't even have our own own thing like you always essentially think of imagine like using a skype group to talk to someone who's using a slack channel that was the product right so many of our users had no idea they were using same room they were just getting responses whatever like you don't really care where, where this person is um so one of the things i wanted to do was to no longer do that ever and basically have a system of record where i have a product that you can use and that's where that's the canonical sort of system of record so today, all of our um, integrations are auxiliary. So in other words, like you can sort of get away with, if, if everything breaks, but Fogbender keeps working, um, you can still use the stuff. You can still use, go to Fogbender and, and get whatever you need to get done, done. 
So, however, we are essentially assuming that every partner, let's call them partners, they're just going to, it's going to break at some point. They're all going to break at some point. Right. And so the fundamental uh, like design decision there is that whenever you're triggering some kind of a, whenever something happens to a partner, to any, whenever you have to trigger an API call, assume it's going to fail essentially. Right. And, but don't let that interfere with your core, uh, you know, your system of record. Don't let your thing go down because GitHub is down. GitHub will be down at some point, right? And if you like, if everything breaks because you know GitHub's timing out, like that's a, that's a really bad experience. So that that's one of the things that we, I think that's probably the most important thing we're doing. We're essentially assuming all these third parties are gonna they're gonna fail at some point. They're definitely gonna fail at some point. So everything that we're building assumes that from the beginning. Um, yeah. So when I think about sometimes digestibility of an API, you mentioned communities earlier. So Slack communities, Discord communities. And then there's also just forums, threads, online yeah. tutorials. And when you have a pretty popular API, like the Twilio API or something like that, that might be yeah. overwhelming for like the amount of quality or semi-quality or low-quality information about how to get up to speed. So if I was a, a junior engineer at Fogbender and there was a new API for me to get to, what's kind of where how do you like to go try to research um, and learn about an API? With the goal to like get it up working as fast as possible to proof of concept, but also maybe learn about some of the the tentacles that other people have had problems yeah. with. You know, how do you kind of synthesize that into like the like a bite-sized junior engineer um, research approach? You know, we don't. I like you said, like I literally I think most of the integrations I built myself so far. Yeah. Um, and, and that yeah, so I, I don't have a good answer. I think it's a really hard a lot of that is just intuition and remembering the rakes that you've already stepped on um it's that's actually something that's very difficult to convey um and, and i don't have a great an answer for you but you know at this point most um most api products especially the newer ones are really trying very very hard to make documentation make sense um make make support um available you know and again like you're there's really you're basically working with two types of companies, the Microsofts and or Asana's or Jira, public companies, you know, they, they, they'll never know about you, essentially. They don't care. Mm -hmm. And then the smaller companies that really care, <laughs> you know, they really right. care. And, um, and with the smaller companies, you know, so for example, like when, when we were working on uh, a height integration, height.app, it's a really cool by the way, task management software. It's like the best one I've ever seen. It's, okay. it's really, really well built. Um, but their API is documented in Notion, you know, and it's it's really Spartan. But despite like this incredibly basic approach, um, I had a really pretty easy experience working with them, partially because I had access to like the CEO, who I think was also implement i don't know if he was implementing the api but he knew everything about everything that was broken or like i'd say hey you know what this says it's it returns a 201 but it actually returns a 200 he's like try now now it returns a 201 <laughs> that kind of thing you know um but at the end of the day like there are no shortcuts right so you once you start building an integration you, it, the, the whole thing is exposed to you but if you're an engine if you're an uh, uh you know junior engineer you're going to suddenly learn everything there is to learn about like you know, and Grok, or you're going to learn, you know, everything there is about 
like managing timeouts, you're diving into a fairly complex world. Um, I just think I think it takes a lot of time. I, I would love I would love to see some content from Fogbender where it's just Andre's number of rakes stepped on per API. You're like, hey, this is a 10 rake API. It's gonna be really painful. Uh, <laughs> one rake yes. API. And if you can get through yeah. zero rakes, then it's like you go in the hall of fame. It's like that hike experience, you know, you're like, I may have hit some rakes, but now that those rakes are fixed, it's probably a zero rake API, which would be like a, a badge of honor. No Andre rakes. Badge of honor, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah um, for sure. Just kind of jumping a little bit into the Fogbender stack. Um, yeah, sure. second endeavor, second endeavor, and um, you've had a chance to work with other places. You see inside other your customer systems all the time. What are two tools um, or vendors that you think like, hey, these 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 company these these tools are best in class? And if I'm starting a company tomorrow, like, hey, put this in your product stack. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a hard question. Uh, because here's why. So my so since about 2009, I've only worked with the Erlang ecosystem backend ecosystem, right? Which remains uh, sort of esoteric, despite Elixir, right? That's made it a lot, and it's really democratized access, I think, to to this unbelievably wonderful virtual machine runtime and, and set of libraries. Uh, that's older than Java, you know, and and way better built. Um, but you know, whenever you know, like I always say, hey, if you're wondering which programming language to learn, learn a functional programming language. Start with a functional programming language. But you know, but also like maybe consider Erlang or Elixir, um, and because you'll also end up with a really nice backend. Um, but I also realize now that it's it's really impossible to. That, that's not a fair recommendation, you know. Few people venture down that road, and and it's always been something that has been a huge advantage for us because, you know, it takes us ten times less effort to build something reliable than it would, I believe, still using any other system. Um, but yeah, and then the other thing we started using actually just with Fogbender is Nix, and I know it's it's kind of a, a lot of people hate it, but it's a beautiful system. It's really hard to. They kind of go hand in hand a little bit, Erlang and Nix. I think Nix is harder to learn, uh, but it's been a, a really cool experience for us. Um, you know, it takes like we have a pretty you know, not a complex stack, but there's a bunch of stuff that you got to get going, and it takes 15 minutes, I think, for a brand new engineer with a laptop that just was like, you know, carried from Apple to start writing code, um, and it's it's cool. I've never seen that before, um, so. So, uh, but I'll, I'll actually mention a third, and this is more of like, these are religious, religious choices, right? Mix, Erlang or Elixir. But uh, we've been working with a, so one of the things we're doing, one of the integrations that we're, types of integrations that we're, we have to build as a customer support product is with CRM systems. And, you know, if you're touching customers in any way, you're going to be deal, dealing with CRMs. Um, and the last thing I wanted to do ever is to build this, like, say, a Salesforce integration, um, you know, because that's essentially a full-time job. If you know how to do that, forget Fogbender, just go go consult, build Salesforce integrations. Um, so we've been part, we've partnered up with a company called Xkit, um, xkit.co, and they're a, and I've spent a bunch of time with them just in the last few weeks, um, building a two two directional. HubSpot integration. 
And um, well, it's really a cool product. You know, uh, they're really trying to make make something. I hope it works. I mean, they're pretty. They're they're much older than us, but like you know, still kind of early. And um, I won't. I'm not going to go into a lot of details there. But essentially, they're making it possible for our customer. Right? We have no idea what their CRM looks like. We don't know what their data model looks like. They can have all kinds of objects, all kinds of you know fields that are not present in any other CRM. Right? Any other instance. So XKit makes it possible for our customer to essentially connect what we expose to their implementation of a particular CRM, you know, where we don't have to, we don't have to do anything, but I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll walk them through it or whatever, but it's all self-serve kind of configuration based uh, stuff. That's really, really cool. And if you consider the complexity that, you know, just consider the complexity of dealing with HubSpot or Salesforce, which I think is worse. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's massive, massive complexity. So, I've enjoyed working with with them quite a bit. It's a, and they're also super knowledgeable. Um, I'm yeah, gonna just, check that out. Just I've got some yeah, awesome. I've got some nasty ERP integrations in my future, and I would love some of that magic that XKit. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Just the philosophy that I think they came up with over many years of experimentation is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, uh, that's one of the things that I, I really like using their their yeah. libraries and their. And so, Andre, I feel like I could hang out with you in this cabin that you're rocking with right now and nerd out about a lot of things. <laughs> but I want I want to close uh, with just some thoughts that you have uh, on the entrepreneurial journey, um, yeah. especially because you spend some time in B two B startups, and it's a long sales cycle, and um, you know there's some there's some big periods between different wins. So. What do you think you've learned about yourself like in your journey or what advice would you have to other entrepreneurs who are uh, kind of heading down this road, um, knowing that it's not all roses, uh, but that it's it's worth yeah. it. It's a good road to travel. You know, um, so for like we, we just after three, almost three years of work. Um, we've had small like small startups using our product. Um, going back a while back but we finally have an actual con like a real contract the real company you know big company uh that, that's selling they're selling seven figure deals to to enterprises and they're looking to um they're they're trying to figure out their customer support sort of before it becomes overwhelming right and they, and they're they're dealing with things like hey some of our customers are using microsoft teams and they expect they expect um us to be there with them in Microsoft Teams, yeah, uh, which is a big ask for for a B two B company. So, so, so my my point is like, there, this company is basically our. They're like my product manager. You know what I mean? They're. I think what they want is something that others will want as well, right? But I'm I'm working with them very very closely. Um, I've basically brought them into my product development cycle. Um, and that is what I love to do, right? That That's that's where I, this is what drives me is I find a partner, another company that sees something in what we're doing. And they're like, fast forward six months, everything is stable, we're growing and you are really, really helping us. That's the kind of relationship. So I think my, my recommendation to any B2B founder is look, look for that, um, Look for that partner, 
even if it's just one, it's that's that's like a, a million times better than is it's incalculably better than nothing. Um, and that's where you start. You got to start with one. You got to start with that one big customer um, and do whatever they want. But I mean, you know, make sure that it's not. Yeah, some people will ask you to if they if they're asking you to build something with like a 1998. I don't know. Is there, was there Lotus Notes? Like, don't build something for Lotus Notes. Like, you know, you I use know. your use your sort of intuition there. But um, a lot of a lot of companies, especially companies that are making money selling to big companies, they're whatever problems they're running into, they're gonna you know many other companies are gonna run to those same problems sooner or later. So so yeah, like I guess my my suggestion is. Find those partners, even if it's one, and work with them as closely as possible. Build what they want, make them happy. I think that's the path to. Um, that's one of the ways to to win. You know, another way to win is just to raise so much money where, where it just doesn't matter. Like you can build a bunch of garbage, and it'll, people will be forced to buy it one way or another. That's possible too. Well, that's not my path. Like I've never, like I, I can't. You know, that's not my. I don't want to do. I, that's not, that's not what I want to do. Uh, but I've seen I've seen wins where 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 you know an early stage startup just does really well working with um, a, a very lucky you know first few customers and they end up building something valuable for a much larger market and that that's the magic. You know? Yeah, I think that's try, try to do that. That's really <laughs> great coaching because it's like hey, six months is a, a long time, you know, yeah. and yeah. The, like between your zero deal and your one deal. Uh, but if you just enjoy every day that you're solving a problem and you feel like you're directionally going in the right place and you can see a future where it's stable and then you can take that beautiful box you created and go sell it to your second customer, then it's worth it. So yeah. Just enjoy enjoy the enjoy that co-design and that moment whenever you know there's kind of a little calm before the storm, before next thing you know, you'll have 10 big customers and be running around. Yeah. But 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 the other lesson here is selling to small to, to individual selling be, something that maybe is B2B to um, individuals or really, really sort of small um, organizations is really dangerous, right? Because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you just can't tell, even if you have happy customers, you don't know whether there's a finance, there's an economic angle there, you know? And like for with my, with same room, there was no economic angle. Like we had, you know, we had a few hundred customers, but they just didn't pay us, pay us enough money for it to, to matter. Even though, like on, in, on, if you look at a startup and all the different variables, right, that has have to be there: go to market, you know, customer development, product itself, its stability. It was kind of all there, but what wasn't there is the like the money. Like there's just the price point was too low, right? And sometimes that's what's going to kill you. So yeah. I think you got to keep all those, all those things in your, in your mind. And then, you know, one of the reasons why, again, like why the second company for me is customer support is because nobody wants free customer support. Nobody, nobody is thinking about using a customer support product for free or, or for, for very right. little money. It's something. Yeah. There's value. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I think this was awesome. I'm really excited to see where Fogbinder goes and, um, you know, me too. Also hearing about how many rakes <laughs> you run into on your next API integration. So uh, it was really cool to meet you today. And I hope that everybody uh, is cheering you guys on. Thanks, Kirby. Uh, I really appreciate it. <laughs>